Hi, my name is Alex Kelly, co-founder of Pride Flag, and this is In-House Outliers, a podcast where I interview those who've taken unconventional paths and challenged conventional notions of how in-house legal should operate. I'm delighted to be joined today on the podcast by someone I've had the pleasure of knowing for a few years, Andre Barrow. As you'll hear, Andre is a project management expert and leads legal operations at Farfetch, the leading global platform for the luxury fashion industry. Andre, thanks so much for for joining me today. Ah, pleasure. I've had the pleasure of knowing you, Andre, now for a few years. But what I love about these conversations is we get to kind of dig a little bit deeper into our guest background, how they got to where they are as legal ops leaders. I might start at the beginning, first of all. Where did you grow up? I'm a Londoner, but I grew up in Barbados. My mother's from Barbados, and I went back to Barbados probably when I was like two or three years old, and that's where I grew up. That's where I did my primary school education, secondary school, university as well, and then came back to the UK to do my master's degree and all that kind of stuff. But I grew up in Barbados. Good place. Not a bad place to be. I can well imagine not a, not a bad place <laughs> to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how would you describe yourself as a kid? Some would say talkative energetic always looking to do something always wanting to do something build something that kind of stuff so that was pretty much me and that kind of makes a lot of sense in terms of what you've you've gone on to do in your professional career as i think you and i have discussed in the past people come to legal ops from a variety of different backgrounds whether it's from legal professional background finance background management consulting background you had a very strong grounding as a project management Mm. leader professional and had already kind of applied that in the legal space. Can you maybe talk us through your early career experiences in project management? And and when you look back now, what what kind of you took from that? Yeah, sure. So my journey, even before project management, my whole thing was around political science and international relations and all that kind of stuff. That's where I thought I was going to end up, actually, because, as I say, I like a little bit of talking and a little bit of research as well and like understanding what's going on around the world. And then I like to say that project management kind of found me because it was kind of in my very final year. I just did an elective in project management. I went, oh, this seems interesting. And, and that's where I continued on with that, actually. From there, I worked on a, on a big construction project, doing some different things. And then I worked as a project manager, implementing banking systems and software for ATM machines and what have you. So had that technical technology, a uh, little bit of background. And then when I came back to the, the UK, ended up at British Telecom and, and working in some pretty hefty projects there as well. So just honing my skills a bit and just getting a good understanding of business, working for a big company, working in a variety different projects whether it be transformational projects transition projects just internal business projects as well and that's really my journey in project management and then I, again legal phoned me again I just got a call and someone said hey law firm is thinking about applying project management uh, to the way they manage their matters and this was around I don't know around 2008 I think it was so this was around the time of the downturn and that's when the time that most clients were saying hey those fees, we can't pay them. We're not paying them. But law firms still had to figure out, but still, how do we be, still be profitable with them? And that's where the question came to me. And initially I said no, but then when I went away and thought about it a little bit more, I went, actually, this is interesting. I think it could be applied. My business knowledge that I'd just been working on with BT, along with managing projects and applying it in this setting, a combination of sales, client management, matter management, project management. I'd kind of honed those skills while I was at British Telecom over the years and just went and applied it that way. And that's kind of how legal found me. I haven't left yet. 
it's amazing because it's something I always say to kind of people on my team in terms of a, a skill set that I think every business professional can benefit from honing is their their project management skills. But mm. you obviously have got like a a training in it. You went back and did a master's in it. You've kind of done it at a, a kind of a professional level. But but lawyers in particular in private practice in in-house, that isn't part of their training, but it can obviously bring so many benefits to the management of a large litigation matter, a large corporate transaction. When I look back now, a lot of my time on the law firm side in corporate M&A, like being successful, being effective, a lot of what I was doing was project managing a variety of stakeholders and our team on the law firm side, experts from different practice areas, the client, the counterparty on the transaction, and trying to work everybody towards a project goal and deadline and manage multiple work streams and ensure that there was kind of strong communication, clarity in terms yeah. of trying to achieve. But there wasn't any kind of formal project management training. And there wasn't at that point in time, the kind of dedicated project manager role that now exists and can add a huge amount of value kind of drilling in a little bit on your kind of your law firm experience or your axiom experience mm. in the legal space before you moved into far-fetched leading legal ops what are the kind of tangible ways it changes how legal work gets delivered when you apply that kind of project management lens or mindset well even before project management is not just the way how you manage the matter or the activity it's also thinking about it commercially from the beginning and thinking about what it is you're trying to achieve beyond just that thing, beyond finishing the matter, or in my past, beyond getting that piece of software in. It's about what's the commercial reason for doing it. And I think once you approach it that way initially, that helps you get the buy-in from different stakeholders. And in the legal space, I think there was always a case of, hey, yes, we're lawyers, but we know how to manage these things. And I think what I was able to do was to kind of bring that commercial acumen, whether it be thinking about PEP or whether it be thinking about, you know, gross margin and all that kind of stuff as well. And I brought and link it into those things and saying, what are we trying to achieve here? Mm -hmm. And then what's the best way to go about it? And then I think that's when I started to get some buy-in. Yes, there was a little bit of pushback, more so in private practice than I would say even in my Axiom days, because, you know, Every partner is managing their own domain, so to speak. This is how we've done it for such a long time. We know what we're doing. Our clients will pay, all that kind of stuff. You kind of get that pushback on. But I think once I started to prove that, no, even in this space, once we understand what it is we're trying to achieve, even with, say, clients asking for lower rates or asking us to do it better, or even asking it to be a bit gold-plated or not, understanding what it is we're trying to achieve. And I guess you, if you want to put it in project management speak, making sure you got your scope and what have you sorted out, making sure that you understand the business reason for doing it, a strong business case and what have you, if you want to put it in that parlance, it's kind of that. Then I think the ground became a little bit easier to work. I couldn't agree more having had that kind of experience on the law firm side early in my career, kind of, I can appreciate it can be difficult to drive change in that environment, particularly with mm. experienced equity partners who have been successful doing things a certain way for a long time. Yeah. We're coming up on the kind of 10 year anniversary on Bright Flag this year. And for Ian and myself starting Bright Flag, it became apparent to us pretty quickly that the kind of catalyst for innovation and legal service delivery, like the kind of origin of that or the kind of real driver for that, much of it was coming from the corporate legal department and from their impetus to be getting services delivered 
more efficiently, mm. more cost effectively, the right resource doing the right type of work for the right cost. And that that was where we would focus our energies in building Brightflag as a platform to help them achieve those objectives in, in managing spend, managing matters and costs and, and having greater insight into that. Yeah. I'm interested from your perspective, was that kind of part of the draw in terms of why you took on the role leading legal operations at Farfetch, that you, you could have a kind of impact uh, on the corporate side in kind of driving innovation and legal service delivery? In a sense, yes. But then I think the added thing for me, and you know, I talked about earlier a little bit, that whole commercial view. And I think one of the passions that, that I have is changing the view of how legal is viewed. And very often, even an in-house perspective, legal could be viewed as, you know, a place of costs, you know, a cost center, a little bit, as some people might say, the place where dreams go to die because we're always questioning things, because we're always asking questions and seemingly pushing back all the time, which is not necessarily the case. And it's a real passion for me to change that view and, and to change the view to one of the fact that, no, legal actually is contributing to the bottom line. And I think that's one of the things that really drove me to go in-house and look at legal operations, because I think there's a real opportunity there for legal operations to help legal professionals change that perception of what legal can deliver into uh, a company. And do you find in a, a kind of innovator in the kind of fashion industry, as, as Farfetch is, that the culture of the organization makes it easier in terms of there is a greater degree of innovation and, and focus on doing things in new and better ways than you might have in a, a different industry in terms of that perception of legal and the role legal can play in enabling the business rather than, as you say, just being perceived as a cost center. I'm not sure about other industries, but I can say with, with Farfetch, it, it, it's been great uh, to have innovative minded lawyers. And it might be the fact that we are a very innovative company. And, and so the, the team is one that's always looking forward, looking at how we can do things different, how we can do things better. So I haven't had that much resistance as far as doing things slightly different. Um, so that's been great. What then were your kind of immediate areas of focus when you joined the company that you kind of orientated yourself in terms of where this kind of obviously Farfetch is this relatively young company. I imagine you were joining the legal team at a an early stage in its maturity. Mm. What were the kind of immediate priorities you identified in in taking on the role? Yeah, so at the time when I joined, yes, we were kind of at an early phase, but we were growing rapidly. And sometimes when you're growing rapidly, you don't necessarily have the time or the bandwidth or, or you probably didn't even think about some of the things that you should put in place foundationally to ensure that as you grow, that you, you know, that all the necessary systems and structures around. So one of the things that I looked at straight away was looking at costs and how we understand that, not necessarily from the fact that we were spending too much or getting a hold of it or what have you. I mean, that was part of it, but just so that my team understood cost, how we were spending, where was it going, who we were spending it with, what were we spending it on, were the things that were coming in that perhaps we shouldn't have been, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's one of the areas that I looked at almost straight away. And as you say, there, it may not be the immediate focus of the business when you're in that hyper growth, you need to just enable that and leveraging outside counsel or hiring exactly. additional team members. A few years into that journey now, how do you, where do you feel you are in kind of having visibility and control over over your costs and, and kind of data to inform decisions for for the legal team and yourself? For me, things can always be better. That's the way how I how I look at things. Um, I would say we're about seventy percent uh, to where I would want it to be. 
part of that's because, you know, the team has been great, really open to, to suggestions, to ideas, to look for me doing things slightly different, just shining a light on different things and asking questions, speaking to our vendors and what have you. Because it's a, you know, it's an all round approach to it, not just saying, hey, let's stop spending on this and stop spending that. It's working with vendors, it's working with the teams, it's understanding the strategy of the, of the company. So we know that we're spending it in the right things that's going to drive that continued innovation and commercial decisions that the company is making as well. So it's linking those things together, um, strategy, as well as the direction of where we're going. So at the moment, yeah, I would say, 65, 70% there. That's great progress in, in a short period of time, Andre. And do you find yourself kind of encouraging your law firms or mandating your law firms to kind of adopt the, the project management approach in, in how they're working with you on, on certain matters in, in your expectations of them and how they're delivering services? Law firms have come a long way since I first joined them. So most law firms have, you know, legal project managers and what have you. So they have some kind of structure in the way how they approach, especially the bigger matters, whether it be a corporate matter or a big litigation or a big commercial matter, what have you. So they already have some kind of structure there. It's just about making sure it's tailored to what I need mm -hmm. so that I can best help my team and therefore they can manage up into the organization as well to show the commercial awareness that the legal team is applying to managing some of our larger matters. Mm -hmm. So working with vendors and what's not, I think is, is pretty good. That's that's great to hear. And and I think, yeah, I'm seeing more and more of that. Obviously, law firms adopting the role, starting with the largest ones, but that cascading down and and probably just engaging with clients like yourselves, ensuring work is being resourced in a way that they would expect and uh, that you've got the right level, doing the right type of work at the right cost base and delivering the right outcome ultimately as well. Mm -hmm. Back to your, your original point about starting with what is the business objective you're trying to achieve. Uh, and I'm curious, what what's next for, for yourself and the team in terms of your immediate priorities? Immediate priorities is that whole part around aligning strategy or the legal team strategy with the company strategy. I still think that within the legal arts community, that's a big piece. I think we can sometimes tend to be very, you know, tactical, whether it be cost, whether it be CLM, whether it be, I don't know, AI, which is the next and the buzz thing that we're looking at now, generative AI and what's not. But I still think for me and, and for wider legal operations, there is that alignment with overall company strategy and making sure that's what we're building out. And I think legal operations can play a very strong role in helping legal team do that. So the next thing for me, or the continued thing for me, is to continue on that journey of that alignment and just continue pushing my team in continuous improvement, continuous innovation, and just continuous alignment with the company strategy. And then just changing that whole conversation about the legal team and just helping us as a legal team as well. Because I think sometimes as a legal team, we don't necessarily see ourselves even as revenue generating and what have you. So I see it as, you know, that's one of the things that I'm going to be focused on um, going forward of changing that whole conversation within legal and within the business about legal as well. As part of my own role here as COO of Bright Flag, I'm trying to ensure our GNA teams, legal, finance, compliance people are kind of focusing their time and effort on the initiatives that are actually going to align most closely with the overall company objectives. What are the company OKRs? What are those functional teams doing to kind of drive those? Because you can end up, when that misalignment occurs, you can end up with people both getting frustrated that their work isn't getting valued, investing a lot of time and effort in, in areas that aren't moving things forward, 
And equally, sometimes getting resistance then when they need buy-in from other teams for a new technology to support what they're trying to do or more resources. Yeah. Whereas those conversations are much easier if you can directly attach what the legal team, the legal ops team are doing to here's this company objective of shorten sales cycle times or improve overall forecasting of our costs and becoming more predictable around them, attaching what you're doing to that at a functional level within the legal team is way more effective. Um, yes, yeah, exactly. That makes a huge amount of sense. And I'm I'm curious for maybe the next generation of, of project managers coming behind you who might be considering a career in legal ops. Is there any advice you'd give them in terms of the area you found you had the steepest learning curve or what they have to kind of lean into that isn't necessarily their strength coming from a project management background into legal ops? One, be confident. You know a lot more than you think you do within the space. And it sometimes, and I'll just say this as well, and it's not with a segue, not really. If it's a professional uh, project manager, someone who's not a lawyer, I know sometimes that could be a bit daunting working with lawyers sometimes. But my thing is that to say is that be very confident. You do have a lot of value that you can bring to it and you can focus on. So be very confident when you're coming into a role of legal operation. Be very innovative as well. Read wider. It's not just about legal project management. It's just not about legal operations. It's about business. It's about being commercially astute, being commercially aware, and understanding what's driving business decisions to understand where to focus on and to, and to, and to you know chart your path forward going forward and look at a roadmap of what you're going to do. So if that's one of the advice that I would say, just be confident and say that, look, if you're in this space, we know a lot more that we can add value to the legal space and just, just walk into it, you know, eyes wide open. I think that's such great advice. And um, it's been a privilege doing this podcast, having the opportunity to speak to so many legal ops leaders like yourselves. And the one consistency is that people come from so many different backgrounds into legal ops and become so successful in leaders like yourself doing it. And one of the kind of superpowers of not being a lawyer or coming from a legal background is you do have a different skill set. You do bring, bring a yeah. different perspective. You are more business focused, perhaps in, in your mindset and, and have a clear understanding of how other functional teams across the business actually operate and manage things. And being that kind of right hand to legal leadership or the general counsel and bringing that perspective is a real strength rather than, say, a weakness in not having all of the legal domain ex uh, expertise, which which you don't necessarily need to be successful. So I think that's, exactly. that's such great advice. And I couldn't agree with you more on that. In terms of the kind of broader legal ops community for you, what role does that play or has that played for you in kind of keeping a pulse on what others are doing, networking, getting a sense of the best approach for a particular project? Yeah, the, the wider community has been great. I mean, I've been able to just speak to a number of people, whether it be on LinkedIn or other areas, whether they meet at a conference or what have you, and just being able to just understand different approaches. And I think everyone's always been fairly open and, and welcoming to discussing different ways, different approaches, how they did it to learn and what have you. So for me, that's been invaluable. And, and I hope that continues long into the future as, as well, because a good community, you know, we want to be able to just, just strengthen this space and to continue to, to build on it. And I think it will continue to, to grow and continue to get a lot stronger. But the community, for me personally, has been invaluable. It's a really close-knit one. It's still at a relatively early stage if you compare it to an area like yeah. operations or marketing operations or other kind of functional areas, which is so exciting as well and invaluable to have leaders like yourself giving back to that community as well. 
Outside of the world of legal ops, I know you also give back to to the West Indians community. Can you tell <laughs> us about your work with West Indians Global? Just some friends of mine joined lockdown and we were trying to figure out what's a good way to have some good conversations. And we started a, a podcast um, called West Indians Global, We Global. And we started a podcast called The Living Room. And it was just us going around the Caribbean, talking to different people about what was happening during lockdown. But then that kind of mushroomed a little bit and it just turned into a whole bunch of conversations around Caribbean life, looking at people who've left the Caribbean, where they've gone to. Um, some of our, our sports stars as well. If you're a cricket fan, we had Michael Holden on there as well which was fantastic 1970 miss world uh, as well was on there who was the you know the first caribbean person and first woman of color to win a major contest of that nature as well so we had a number of people and it was just really about just having conversations with west indians and it's been great that's fantastic andrea i did tell you at the beginning i was i was known as talkative so that was straight into me yeah, like myself, it's a, a podcast is a good forum for talkative, chatty people like like us, and uh, I imagine that's a wonderful way to connect with the community, build yeah. new friendships, and share that. And it's amazing how COVID was a kind of a catalyst for a lot of these things, and and bringing in that greater sense of connection, and and wonderful to hear that it's kind of gone from strength to st- strength, and and grown from there. And then final question for me, Andre, what what do you yeah. enjoy doing outside of podcasting, legal ops? What do you enjoy doing in your spare time? Oh. Fair enough, my daughters and both pretty musical. So I like to do a lot, a lot of that as well. Generally reading, uh, walking, I do a lot of running. Also, I've taken up running a few years ago. So I'm still doing that. I've kept that up. And that's the kind of stuff I like to do. As I say, anything that's going to help me keep moving and keep moving forward, that's the kind of stuff I like to do. That's impressive. I can't imagine there's a huge amount of time between work, uh, your podcasting, the kids and uh, yeah. Running. Late night running, late night running. I love running in the winter. So you'll catch me on the road at like eight o'clock in the middle of the winter. I went running the other day. It was like minus two and okay. I went for a 5k. So that's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm the opposite <laughs> end of the day. I, I find running great as well for clear, clearing the head, but I early morning, I don't have the discipline. Oh. If I leave it to the end of the day, it doesn't happen. So I I, I was out at eight o'clock in the morning on Sunday. It was equally cold. Uh, yeah. They, um, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's- I tried early mornings, but for whatever reason, I just can't seem to do it. I don't, I don't know why. I just, well, too whatever, lethargic in the Whatever early in the works morning. for you. Well, maybe yeah, we have, our girls are three and four. So we're tend to be up a few hours at that stage. Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah, well, Andre, thank you so, so much for, for joining us as ever. Oh, it's been great. So, it's so been much great. fun catching up. I think it was uh, Clock Las Vegas, I think, was the last time I, we got to catch up in person. That was the last time we catch up. Yeah, that's yeah. And look forward to seeing you hopefully again in person soon. But uh, really, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, me too. Thanks for having me. It's been great being here. I'm Alex Kelly, host of the In-House Outliers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Brightflag an AI-powered e-billing and matter management platform where corporate legal departments gain visibility into operations, maximize productivity, and engage with outside counsel strategically.